0: is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.30 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 31st of July. This is episode 261 of Bitcoin and... Let's not waste any damn time. Let's get right into it. Cash app for comment. Joe Rogan tells 200 million listeners to buy Bitcoin. And this is Turner Wright. Oh, God. Writing this one for Cointelegraph. And my disdain that you just heard there was because of some of the wording that is used in this particular article. But... It is what's going on. Um, I'll have a comment on it clearly uh, at the end of it. Cash App is paying Joe Rogan big bucks to talk up Bitcoin, according to his scripted spiel on his most recent podcast. Really? I hope you can prove that Cash App is actually paying directly for talking up Bitcoin. Yeah, I hope you can back that up, dude. Podcaster Joe Rogan used the first few minutes of a recent episode to read out an advertisement for his sponsor Cash App and to tell listeners to buy Bitcoin. On episode 1515 of the Joe Rogan Experience, released on July the 28th, Rogan adopted his customary tone used to plug advertising sponsors. Oh, God, the the horror, the horror that Joe Rogan wants to make money. My God almighty, people. Including Cash App. Before going on to state some serious technical points about Bitcoin, like stacking shatch. Quote, Bitcoin is a transformational digital currency that acts as decentralized peer-to-peer payment network powered by its users with no central authority, Rogan read out. Quote, I love it. I wish it was the way we exchange currency. and Maybe it will be in the future. Get on board, end quote. What's the sat, Joe? The podcaster, most likely aware that many of his 2 million or 200 million or so listeners, triple the listeners of Alyssa Milano, according to the actress, I don't know why he put that in there. May not be familiar with the term sats. Speculated on who Bitcoin creator Satoshi Nakamoto really was. Quote, I don't even know if that's the real name. It's one of those weird things where the internet always has tried to figure out who it is. End quote. Rogan has previously stated his podcast doesn't necessarily need ads from Cash App, which, if true, makes the endorsement at least partly genuine. yikes man. These kind of... Turner is just kind of lashing out of here, man. I, I guess he's an ETH head. Cash App and payment services uh, developed by Square have given users the option to buy and sell Bitcoin since 2018. However, Twitter and Square CEO Jack Dorsey has apparently ramped up efforts to promote the service. Better be able to prove it. Dorsey tweeted a picture featuring a Bitcoin logo on a Cash App sponsored NASCAR vehicle driven by Daryl Bubba Wallace on July the 14th. Wallace, the Only African American driver in NASCAR's top racing series became much more high profile in recent months for his efforts to combat perceived racism in the sport. Not sure why that's in there. Cointelegraph reported in June that Rogan uses a privacy focused browser Brave to avoid internet ads and Google tracking. Why are you putting this in here? The podcaster has also had prominent guests on his podcast from the cryptosphere, including. Bitcoin bull, Andreas Antonopoulos, and Elon Musk. That's the end of the article. I don't even know if I should waste my time on the commentary. I mean, Joe Rogan gets to do what Joe Rogan wants to do. If he wants to plug Bitcoin, that's his business. I don't see anything in here that it was proven that Cash App directly paid Joe Rogan to talk up Bitcoin. He's been doing that for a while, Turner. Come on. I... See, I guess my I guess the commentary that I should make is that I am continue ever since I got back from vacation. I have seen, uh, what, how to say it, um, that it's like the temperature of the water in the pool is not where I left it, and that's I mean if you kind of get what I'm saying, it's like the tonality of of word choice has cha- uh, has uh, changed. Uh, there's a lot. I mean, people are just you know, especially like journalists in general, all over the news media that I scour is just, they're just all over Ethereum. They're all over DeFi. And half of the story, you know, half of the headlines I see has something shitty to say about Bitcoin. And I don't get it. None of you motherfuckers would have a job out there if it wasn't for Bitcoin. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Bitcoin. Bitcoin was the spark, Bitcoin was us uncovering the weapon that we've been looking for for centuries. And here you are telling us, I, I guess maybe you got like some gun advocacy or like uh, non-gun buying advocacy or something like that. You're so scared of it, I guess. I don't know. But it's, it's rather tiresome, honestly. And this kind of shit right here out of Cointelegraph is, is just strange. Cash App is paying Joe Rogan to talk up Bitcoin. It says it underneath the byline. See, this is the kind of shit that we have to deal with. And then the people wonder why we're so damn salty. My God almighty. Okay, uh, what's next on the thing? Bitcoin trading is booming in Russia. Ah, the Russians. And that's by crypto exchange Paxful. This is Jose Antonio Lanz writing for Decrypt.co sometime uh, yesterday. Uh, Bitcoin exchange Paxful reports a 350% increase in users from Russia registering month over month all-time highs since the start of the coronavirus in March. So way back in March, this begins. Bitcoin trading is alive and well in Russia. For years, traders and crypto enthusiasts in Russia have had to deal with the regulatory uncertainty and conflicting statements from the nation's lawmakers. Oh, wait a minute. Do I have one for that? I think I might. Uh, Let me me just make sure. Let me make sure. I, I, I believe so. You know who's behind Bitcoin? Putin. It's a Ruski conspiracy to fuck up the American economy in the world. It is, man. I mean, the Russians are just, they're just hell bent on our destruction, I suppose. That's why they're buying Bitcoin, I guess. Uh, Yet, despite these problems, Bitcoin trading has not only survived in Russia, it's growing according to data from peer-to-peer Bitcoin exchange Paxful over the last year. They reported a 350% increase in usage of its platform in the Eastern European nation. Ever since the start of the coronavirus pandemic outbreak in March, Paxful has experienced month-over-month all-time highs in new user registrations on its exchange, the company said in a statement. What's more, beyond COVID-19 and the ensuing economic turmoil around the world, a recent legal clarification that favored Bitcoin hodlers and traders in Russia may set the stage for even more activity in the region on July the 24th. Wait, July the 24th? Yeah, okay, whatever. And after several months of discussion, the Russian Duma finally passed the new law, uh, or the new law on financial assets. The law ruled out criminalizing cryptocurrency, which some industry observers expected, giving crypto's legal status, but banning their use in commerce as payment solutions. Quote, crisis aside, Russia has always had a monolithic banking system that is dominated by a few players, That's no different than anybody else, guys. And the sentiment we get is that Russians are increasingly looking to find alternative ways to grow their earnings and participate in the financial market, says Anton Kozlov, Paxful's manager for the Russian market, in a statement. Quote, Bitcoin within the P2P context allows them much more freedom to do so, and our data is proving it, he said. Paxville's growth is a sign of its emerging status in the P two P scene, but it still has a ways to go before catching up to the market leader in the region, local bitcoins. Russia is the largest peer-to-peer Bitcoin trading market in Europe, but almost all volume moves through local Bitcoins. According to data from useful Tulips, while Paxful closed the month with just under half a million dollars in trading volume, Finland's local Bitcoins recorded over 31 million. The gap may be large, but it's not impossible for the U.S.-based platform to close. Paxful has already established itself as the P2P platform of choice in Africa and is rapidly closing in on local Bitcoins in Latin America. Yeah, so there you go. Latin America and Africa are probably the two um uh, most important, you know, most important continents that uh Bitcoin has, honestly. I mean, yeah, Russia is important and clearly, you know, China with its, you know, god untold billions of people over there and then you got India. But right now, you know, honestly, it's Africa and Latin America I think are the best plays for anybody to be getting into right now. So there you go. There's my my take on that. Uh, Daily Hodel staff writing for, obviously, the Daily Hodel. Now we're going to be talking about the Goldman Sachs issues. The dire dollar warning says U.S. may lose global currency dominance. It's not like we haven't been saying this shit since 2009. Goldman Sachs is sounding the alarm on the U.S. dollar, saying it could lose its status as the world's dominant currency. In a new report cited by Bloomberg, Goldman Sachs warns investors that U.S. fiscal policies could significantly slash the value of the dollar in the long run. With $2.8 trillion added to the Federal Reserve's balance sheet this year and another round of stimulus measures incoming, the firm says Wall Street is becoming increasingly worried about the economic outlook in the United States. Quote, the resulting expanded balance sheet and vast money creation spurs debasement fears, In quote. A new quote, this could create a greater likelihood that at some time in the future after economic activity is normalized, there will be incentives for central banks and governments to allow inflation to drift higher to reduce the accumulated debt burden, end quote. As inflation concerns grow. Investors are turning to safe haven assets like gold. Recently, Goldman Sachs increased their gold price forecast by around 15%. Analysts in the crypto space often describe Bitcoin as an uncorrelated asset with the potential to emerge as a hedge against inflation and global economic turmoil. In a new interview with CNBC, Galaxy Digital CEO Mike Novogratz says he believes both gold and Bitcoin will surge due to a worldwide liquidity pump. Quote, it doesn't look like the Fed is going to raise rates. The liquidity story isn't going to go away. We're going to get a big stimulus, end quote. But critics such as gold proponent Peter Schiff scoff at the notion that BTC will be an effective hedge. Quote, inflation results in higher prices for goods. Since gold is a good, its price rises along with the price of other goods preserving its relative purchasing power. Since Bitcoin is not a good, its price does not relate to the price of other goods, so it's not an inflation hedge, end quote. So far this year, Bitcoin has outperformed gold. Uh, The precious metal is up 27.6% in 2020, while Bitcoin is up 51.2%. Continuing on in the same vein, let's do this one from Bradley Kuhn and Amkar Godbull. Such a cool name, man. Uh, this is out of Coindesk. Sometime yesterday, first mover sleepy Fed meeting belies tense economic reality. Brrr, it literally says that. <laughs> that May boy, a Bitcoin. Okay, after a two-day closed-door meeting this week, the Federal Reserve issued a six-paragraph statement on Wednesday and held an hour-long press conference. None of that was news, of course, and neither was anything else emanating from the United States Central Bank, which announced no policy changes. I guess that means Bitcoin goes back into consolidation. You're reading first mover. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I am reading first mover. But here's what really happened over the past two days. Another $5 billion of freshly created money was injected into financial markets based on the 80 billion dollars of bond purchases the fed is continued conducting every month to keep financial markets functioning smoothly as the fast spreading coronavirus devastates the global economy the contrast couldn't have been a starker between the lack of drama at the fed meeting and investors growing anxiety over what is by all accounts one of the most excruciatingly tense and fragile moments In modern economic history, Matty Greenspan, founder of the cryptocurrency and foreign exchange firm Quantum Economics, told clients in a note Tuesday the Fed's money printer, often known by the purported sound it makes, "burr," (laughs) was now mostly producing a yawn. That's six W's and four N's, in case you're keeping count. Quote, the Fed is doing its best to speak softly, literally, so as not to wake up the markets, Greenspan wrote. The more boring, the better. I can see that. Beneath the surface, all is not well. And a recent jump in prices for Bitcoin might be one of the best indications of that because a growing number of investors see the cryptocurrency as a decent hedge against everything from hyperinflation to economic Armageddon, similar to gold, even if not always perfectly in sync. Bitcoin is up 57% for the year, climbing to about 11,261 on Wednesday in an anemic but upward drift that barely twitched from its listless trajectory when the Fed statements emerged at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. U.S. lawmakers are at odds on everything from the specifics of a relief bill likely to cost at least $1 trillion to the possibility of contracting the disease from a mask. The Wall Street firm Goldman Sachs warned earlier this week that the United States dollar is at risk of losing its status as the de facto global reserve currency. Dwindling numbers of big investors are assigning any credibility to the assurances of President Donald Trump's administration that the economy is headed toward a V-shaped recovery. Pantheon, a macroeconomic uh, yeah, macroeconomic forecasting firm, says the United States economy is the sec- in the second quarter probably had its biggest drop ever recorded by far. Jobless claims probably rose to about $16.5 million last week. Rick Reeder, Chief Investment Officer of Global Fixed Income at money market giant BlackRock, told CNBC that the United States dollar, which is on course to post its worst month in a decade, will likely continue to decline. "Quote: I think we're in a different regime around the dollar, Reeder told the channel the only thing that seems certain is that the federal reserve will keep creating billions of dollars a day and pumping them into global markets on wall street it's not even controversial anymore to suggest that the stock market is being propped up by the united states central bank this week's fed meeting undersc- underscored the focus especially especially in an election year that our federal government has in keeping the co- has in keeping the economy humming sorry guys man i have I was actually took a little break to run around and try to catch a chicken, so I'm a little out of breath. I won't get into it. Joe D. Pasquale, CEO of cryptocurrency focused hedge fund Bitbull Capital, told First Mover in a phone interview, quote, They're going to keep the monetary stock flowing, and that should be good for Bitcoin as people become more comfortable with an asset that has in the past been seen as more risky, De Pasquale said. Fidelity Investments, which oversees $7.3 trillion in customer assets. Holy crap. Wrote this month in a report that Bitcoin's next wave of awareness and adoption could be driven by external factors such as unprecedented levels of intervention by central banks and governments, record low interest rates, increasing fiat money supply, deglobalization, and the potential for ensuing inflation, all of which have been accelerated by the pandemic, an economic shutdown. Well, that and money printer go burr. You forgot that part, dude. Anyway, it's quite a list. And hard to argue with any of that which collectively provided the subtext for this week's Fed meeting. Powell was candid about the Fed's willingness to provide further monetary accommodation even after policymakers earlier this year slashed interest rates close to zero and expanded the central bank's balance sheet by roughly $3 trillion. The amount represents roughly 75% of the total amount of money previously created in its 107-year history. One question mark might be whether the Fed can stimulate markets with more dollars if the United States currency is looking weak in foreign exchange markets. According to Pantheon, the Fed may have to increase the pace of its monthly bond purchases once the quote treasury begins to issue the 1.5 trillion extra debt we reckon will be needed to finance the next relief bill. God, it's just, this is horrible. Quote, we are committed to using our full range of tools to support the economy, Powell said during the press conference, using language nearly identical to language he has used on multiple prior occasions since March when the Fed first began plying the financial system with emergency loans and liquidity. Quote, the way Powell emphasizes it, they're going to continue to pump liquidity and easy money into the markets. John Todaro of the digital asset analysis firm Tradeblock said Wednesday in a phone interview, quote, it was just kind of a rehash of, hey, how devish are these folks going to get? End quote. (laughs) First mover reported earlier this week that Deutsche Bank strategist Jim Reed sees the Fed adding another $12 trillion to its balance sheet over the next few years to the $7.01 trillion of total assets as of last week. Fed policymakers did their best uh, this week not to cry. I mean, not to make news. This, didn't, this doesn't mean that they're not doing a lot. Bitcoin traders are more focused on the burr than the yawn. And there you go. Sorry that was so rough. But like I said, I had to break for a second to help my daughter try to corral a chicken, which we were very unsuccessful at. I was literally, you know, 10 minutes ago running around my backyard trying to get this son of a bitch before she starts crowing. It's She's not a rooster, yet she crows. It's a funny thing about chickens. I didn't know it. I would never heard of it. Now that we kind of researched it because we knew what we were looking for, this is not uncommon that a female chicken will decide that she needs to take over the duties of being the man. So... Anyway, so it, was, it was, that was a little rough, and I, and I do apologize, but let's do some numbers. All right, because it's a little earlier than when I normally cut this show, uh, major industry indices are in kind of a yawn phase, much like the meh it's been going through over the last well, actually, the whole, the whole this whole last week. But the numbers are the same. S&P's up negligible. NASDAQ up three quarters of a point. Dow Jones is down a fifth of a point. FTSE's up a half. Nikkei's down three. That's, that's kind of exceptional. The Hang Seng is down a half. Shanghai's up three quarters. The VIX has increased a little bit. That's the volatility index. Uh, let's see what uh, bonds are doing. Meh. I mean, it's all meh. Uh, German 10-year Bund is still uh, costing you 0.5% to own oil uh, to the upside, three-quarters of a point. Its last on Texas, West Texas Intermediate is $40.22. Natural gas moving sideways, gold up almost a point, $1, $1,983. So there you go. But let's talk about actual money, Bitcoin. Chilling out at 11,160. Looks like I'm going to have a low at 134.69. And my high, well, that is my high, is 11,160 bucks. 315,000 transactions done in the last 24 hours gives us about 13,000 transactions being performed an hour sending a little under 1 million BTC around the horn in that 24 hour period with 40,000 BTC being sent on average per hour with an average transaction value of 3 BTC and a median transaction value that's still high 0.054 BTC about 600 bucks. Block times are even higher today than they were yesterday. Ten minutes and fifty seconds, with 1.3 BTC being taken in fees on a per-block basis, and 173 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've had a damn near 10% drop in hash rate, bringing us all the way back down to 112 exahashes per second. Holy smokes, man! Uh, let's see if that stu- Let's see if that went anywhere. Uh, looks like uh, Bcash, BSV, and Litecoin all got bumps in their hash rate, but even Ethereum has dropped like 6%. Not that hash rate's going to mean dick to them here in two weeks, trademark. But uh, well, yeah, there, there you go. Uh, let's see. The last time anybody did something for Bitcoin on the GitHub repository was sometime today. Yes, I do understand that that may be as small as a correction, but hey, Ethereum, three hundred forty-two. Oh, happy fifth, you. Ps- Swamp rat. Bcash is at 292. BSV is at 215. Litecoin is at 57.5. Ethereum Classic is at 7.5. Dogecoin holding it at 0.0032, which apparently is the doghouse that Doge always enjoys inhabiting. And at 50,000 transactions on a daily basis, we're walking all up and down Ethereum Classic. Litecoin and Bcash's piddly-ass 17,980 transactions. So let's see what Clark Moody has to say about the mempool. It's not the mempool. It's whatever mempool Clark Moody's looking at. 43,387 transactions are chilling out in that mempool with a oh number of blocks to clear. is going to be about 67 to do this thing. And uh let's go over to let's see what his price is. He's showing eleven thousand one hundred and eighty-six dollars. And as far as lightning network is concerned, we have uh nine hundred and seventy-seven and a half btc giving us million dollars of liquidity across 7,364 nodes representing 36,678 channels. Tor capacity dropped by 0.2%. We are at 436.8 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, bringing the percentage of Tor capacity down to 44.7 and that's across 2,147 nodes. That's gonna do it for Vitals. Let's get on with part two of the snooze you can use. This is Zycrypto's Eerie, Eerie Maxwell, E-R-I-E. Not sure how to pronounce that name. In earnings call, PayPal execs cite death of cash, but keeps mute on Bitcoin Buzz. This was written sometime yesterday. PayPal just announced record revenues of $5.26 billion and enjoyed a 5% spike in stock prices when the news broke. Apparently, they are still thriving in the midst of a pandemic. According to Fortune.com, PayPal made some revelations as to their future thinking during a call discussing the record quarter. The president and CEO of PayPal, Daniel Shulman, alluded to the changing world and how PayPal will have to react. Consumers no longer want to handle cash in any forms of payment that require physical touch at checkout. Quote, Said the chief executive. Oh. I'm so scared. I can't. I can't touch the air. I'm gonna. I, I, all the food is pissing me off. And everything's racist. Oh, My God! Now the air is trying to kill me. wee wee we, wee. I'm telling you guys, this is just getting a little freaking ridiculous. Everybody, everybody gets pissed off at the drop of a hat. Everybody's offended. Everybody's scared shitless of their own shadow, the person next to them. And now the air that they breathe. Hell, apparently it's quite possible that even masks cause the pandemic, just the coronavirus. This is just insane. The world needs to get a spanking or something, dude, but list continue the shifting from cash to electronic payments is obviously something that would excite paypal and its shareholders and the pandemic is accelerating that shift paypal cfo john Rainey acknowledged the speed of the changing world in a call quote the pace of e-commerce has accelerated by several years in a single quarter said PayPal CFO John Rainey. Back in 2019, Rainey gave an interview where he predicted a move away from cash payments. Quote, We've been talking about this phenomenon or trend for years now, and it's here, Rainey said. We experience it today. He thinks PayPal is positioned well to take advantage of the new cashless trend. Quote, It's where those two come together that really create opportunities like PayPal to really expand the suite of financial services to large swaths of the population that are really underserved by how we characterize that today, end quote. Yeah, you'll have more people to shut down and and not allow to make payments because you're a centralized behemoth, so there's that. What was missing from the call was a discussion about Bitcoin. Although PayPal is reportedly planning to integrate Bitcoin into its services, the executives did not touch on PayPal's future with Bitcoin. Not all people are on board with a cashless future. In fact, some argue a cashless future is a discriminatory one. Philadelphia City Councilman Ben Greenlee has argued that not accepting cash is a practice that harms some." quote, "It seems unfair to me that I can walk into sweet green, get a salad, but the person behind me that has the monetary unit the United States of America has used for centuries <laughs> can't get <laughs> for centuries. <laughs> he was uh, you can't help. him. He was educated in the public school system. What are you going to do, man? This, that's centuries. <laughs> can't get the same product. That's not intentional, but it is discrimination. End quote. To move totally away from cash could be a shocking change, and many would need more access to the internet and the proper equipment to execute transactions. But with the proper preparation and infrastructure, Bitcoin could be the solution for a society moving toward digital transaction, but still express a desire for some of the features of cold, hard cash. Now, that's the end of that, but what they should have done is extend that to talk a little bit about Rodolfo Novak and cold card and uh, the Open Dime, specifically the Open Dime. Yeah, uh, that's all done by Coin, our friends over at CoinKite. <clears throat> that's Rodolfo's. Uh, that's his bag. Anyway, uh, the the open dime is what makes Bitcoin not cashless. If you so choose, if you so choose, and other people also so choose, you can trade physical sticks. That it look like they're little USB sticks, kinda. They're not exactly USB. They stuck, they shove into your USB port, but they're not, they're not memory sticks. And they hold a certain amount of Bitcoin. And as long as you have access to a reader that can scan the blockchain, it will tell you how much Bitcoin is on that stick. And these little readers can be built on an M5 stack. I bet you my ass they can be built on a Raspberry Pi. And I bet you my ass that since those little those little computer boards take so little electricity to run, that all you really need to be dependent on is somehow, some way to be able to scan the blockchain from the last block height to confirm that as of the last block height, the person that is sending that is handing you the open dime has indeed the Bitcoin that it says it has on it. You don't necessarily need the internet for that. Like block streams. oh God, I don't know if you could hear that, but my my rooster or my female rooster is apparently at my window crowing because I'm assuming to piss me off because we tried to chase it. And, you know, even though they have a brain the size of a pea, apparently she's smart enough to know exactly where to sit. <laughs> she's never been on this side of the yard before and she's crowing outside my window, you little... You little crispy French, you know, Kentucky fried son of a bitch out there. Okay, sorry. The open, back to the open dime. Blockstream has a satellite. and You can get the incoming blocks from that satellite. We also don't necessarily need full internet connections all the way to, you know, uh, like a terminal miner or a whole bunch of nodes. Mesh network. Mesh network is really important. It's it's critical. It's critical. I would judge it as critical infrastructure that is on par with national security for all nations. But I don't really care about the nation state at this point. I care more about groups of people trying to just be people with each other without having governments just continuously interfere and get in the way because that's essentially that's all they, they're that's all they're good for now. They just get in the way. Not really helping. Haven't really helped in years, but this statement on that we've been using this cash for centuries, no, and I'm not making a statement about how long the United States has been a, an entity. No, I'm talking about the nature of the cash that we have now versus the cash or the different kinds of caches that we've had throughout the history of the United States of America. What we have today, what you're holding in your wallet right now or in your hot little hands, is not the cash of your forefathers. Hell, it's not even the cash of when your grandparents were little tiny children. No, it's the cash post-1971. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, why don't you go visit... WTF happened in 1971.com. Continuing on with some whale alerts, Bitcoin whales are accumulating more than 50,000 BTC every month, says a report. Himadri Saha from Crypto Potato is writing this one sometime this morning. It appears that large Bitcoin addresses have been accumulating upwards of 50,000 BTC every month and shows no sign of slowing down. The latest data suggests that Bitcoin's recent bullish stint has excited large-scale investors. Whales have been accumulating copious amounts of BTC in anticipation of a larger rally. Also, there's an almost 38% increment in Bitcoin addresses holding more than $1 million worth of BTC. Data from on-chain analytics and crypto market insights provider Glassnode suggests that Bitcoin's recent rally hasn't induced much of a selling reaction from long-term investors. Big shot market participants are holding tight and eagerly waiting to reap greater profits from further BTC rallies. What Glassnode says is evident from the Bitcoin holder hodler net position change metric or metric, which has remained positive since March end. Furthermore, investors have been accumulating more than 50,000 BTC every month. Adamant Capital was the first to introduce this metric, which provides an idea of the investment sentiment and changes in saving behavior within the Bitcoin ecosystem. To quote the exact definition, Hodler net position change shows the monthly position change of long-term investors, or hodlers, It indicates when HODLers cash out, which is negative, and when net new positions are accumulated by HODLers. Apart from this, another metric is hinting at the rising dominance of strong hands in the Bitcoin market. It seems whales don't want to leave any stone unturned in buying more BTC. This, according to Glassnode, can be seen from the increment in Bitcoin addresses holding $1 million worth of the top cryptocurrency. Earlier, the number was 13,000. Owing to the recent price rally, millionaire BTC addresses have risen by almost 38% to 1,800. Such an uptick in massive Bitcoin buying behavior points to increasing institutional investor interest. We talked about the slow movement of capital in the BTC market in one of the earlier articles. However, it seems folks staking massive fiat amounts in the cryptocurrency space are not satisfied with the inflationary status of the global economy. Goldman Sachs dollar debasement warning has also served as a wake-up call for large-scale investors looking at the rally as an opportunity to stack more sats and protect the value of their savings. Bitcoin investment management firm Ryze uh, confirmed this as well, Rise, R-Y-Z-E, in their latest newsletter talked about the possible reasons fueling the ongoing Bitcoin rally. One thing that became instantly obvious is the steadily growing institutional crowd in the crypto space. Quoting data on increasing futures volumes for BTC on various platforms, Rise made it clear that, quote, institutions are jumping at the opportunity, end quote, to expose themselves to the flagship cryptocurrency. Open market, the total value of outstanding trades, is at nearly $5 billion across all Bitcoin future markets which is an indicator of increased investment activity. Daily futures volume is nearly $50 billion, the second highest of the year. The CME's Bitcoin futures nearly had the most volume they've seen in a single day. And BAC's futures far surpassed previous record volume. Grayscale is also seeing record inflows, adding nearly $1 billion. Uh, That's in, okay, $1 billion in... um, I'm thinking those are Australian dollars, AUM, in the last week, with over 80% of it being Bitcoin. This behavior, as observed by Rise, is very different from 2017, when retail investors caused a FOMO driven rally. BTC is an excellent fit for the current macroeconomic scenario, and institutions realize this significantly. That's why they are getting involved for a much longer term and not just to make a few bucks in the shortest possible time. So that's good. I. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just going to call it. That's good. Today, uh, futures uh, uh, apparently expire. So we will have to see what's going on. Uh, Looks like Bitcoin price is still holding. I've got it at $11,187. That's my trading view. Um, So if things have expired to the negative or positive, I'm not sure. It's just kind of meh. So... Uh, so watch out. Just keep that shit in mind, okay? Oh, Pantera. Oh, my favorite band. Pantera Bitcoin Fund has soared 15,140% since inception. Dan Moorhead predicts DeFi movement just getting started. Oh, Dan, no, man. God dang it. Daily Hodel staff writing for the Daily Hodel, And yes, we're going to have to suffer through DeFi bullshit. <clears throat> Sorry. Sorry. It's... The narrative's out there. We might as well find out what it's about. Crypto-focused venture firm Pantera Capital is bringing in big returns for its investors this year, largely thanks to the impressive growth of Decentralized Finance, or DeFi. Uh, The Pantera Digital Asset Fund is up 86% over the year as of July 27th, according to Dan Moorhead, the company's CEO and co-chief investment officer, and Joey Krug, their other co-chief investment officer. In a recent newsletter to investors, the executives also note that their ICO fund is up 60% and their Bitcoin fund is has seen gains of 43%. According to Moorhead and Krug, DeFi is responsible for the digital asset fund's superior performance thus far. Quote, Pantera Digital Asset Fund has exposure to assets integral to the growing DeFi ecosystem, which is outpacing Bitcoin's store value play so far this year. Uh, yeah, This it's gonna crash, man. DeFi is going to clean your your clock. The executives think the increase in demand for decentralized finance, particularly for digital asset lending and borrowing, is a promising development, yield farming. They caution, however, that DeFi protocols, yield farming, will need increased scalability, better infrastructure, and easier fiat on-ramps before they can witness yield farming, serious mainstream adoption yield farming. Moorhead and Krug highlight several projects like Matic Network, Blow X Route, Starkware, Wire, and Alchemy that are working on those improvements. Quote, The progress we have seen in these barriers and our expectations going forward have us very optimistic about the coming years. End quote. The firm's ICO fund has benefited from being an early investor in Ampleforth, a DeFi smart commodity money project. Uh, although it has seen similar smaller gains this year. Pantera's Bitcoin fund has been a home run for long-term investors over its seven-year lifetime. The fund has yielded a staggering 15,140% net of fees and expenses outperforming Bitcoin over the same period. But no, that <sighs> bullshit, complete bullshit. All right, we have this one from Samuel Haig. Government-backed tokenized gold with killer features. Uh, uh, Yeah, this is Cointelegraph's Samuel Haig. It was written this morning. Uh, The Universal Protocol Alliance, a consortium of crypto firms comprising Bittrex, Global, Ledger, CertiK, and Uphold, has launched a token backed by the Western Australian government-owned Perth Mint. The tokens, dubbed Universal Gold or UPaxau, UPXAU, can be purchased on Uphold and spent using the firm's debit card. Investors can purchase UPXAU or whatever from one dollar with no investment limits, unlike mainstream gold products, which often have a 0.04% monthly custody fee. The token is free to hold. In July 30th announcement, JP Thoreau, upholds chief executive, said the token had three killer features: spendability, zero holding cost, and government guarantee. Oh, god! Speaking to Cointelegraph, Telegraph, Thoreau stated that the universal gold project has been in the making for quite some time noting that one of the alliance's largest investors is a prominent gold bug who bought the perth mint to brought the perth mint to the its attention several months ago quote the perth mint is the largest refiner of new gold in the world and is owned by the government of western australia which guarantees all the gold it holds in the same way the fdic guarantees us dollars held in American banks. Mm -hmm. He, He said the Perth Mint didn't charge custody fees and was technologically savvy. Oh, thank God. Quote, we've been working with another prominent gold provider for the better part of six years, and they can't match what the Perth Mint offers, end quote. He added, the Universal Gold Project is not Perth Mint's first gold-backed token. In February, it teamed up with Infinigold Infinigold, to launch the Perth Mint Gold Token, or the PGMT. Other gold-backed tokens appearing recently include Tether Gold, which launched in January Paxos's Pax Gold, which commenced trade in September of 2019, and Digital Exus Token, which launched in April of 2019. Uh, we're just going to have to fight through all this shit, dude. It's, you know, it's just going to happen. So, be that as it may, Trump says, next stimulus checks could be bigger than last time. Money printer go burr, stacking sats go up. Donald Trump said he would like to see very high coronavirus relief payments, but experts are concerned this will continue to devalue the dollar. (gasps) No way, man. Liam Frost writing this one for Decrypt.co. He continues. U.S. President Donald Trump said that the next round of coronavirus relief packages may include way higher, way higher. Way, way higher checks than the previously distributed $1,200 payments Fox 10 Phoenix reported yesterday. Quote, it may go higher than that, actually, Trump said on Wednesday during an interview with KMID. Adding that, quote, I'd like to see it be very high because I love the people. I want the people to get it. (laughs) I don't hate Trump, I don't love Trump, I don't give a shit about Trump, I don't give a shit about Biden either, but that's damn funny. Senate Republicans have so far proposed a draft stimulus package known as the HEALS Act, which sets out to plan to hand out a further $1 trillion in funding. We're printing forever. (laughs) I'm so sorry. That took me all kinds of by surprise. Quote, we're printing forever. It's 0% forever. So now the bottom's going to drop out of the dollar, noted Peter Schiff, CEO and chief global strategist of Euro-Pacific Capital, during his debate with Anthony Pompliano on Tuesday. And I honestly, you know, there's a lot of stuff I disagree with Peter Schiff about. But there are quite a few things that I 100% agree with Peter Schiff on about. And this is one of them, man. In the last month, the U.S. dollar has declined 6% against the great British pound, a factor that could drive people toward Bitcoin. Jason Dean, an analyst at Quantum Economics, recently told Decrypt, quote, USD devaluation, increasing awareness of Bitcoin and ease of use and access make Bitcoin a likely candidate for a safe haven store of value going forward. In my view, Dean noted while stressing that, quote, We never know for sure, of course, and I agree with that too. Fidelity Digital Assets, the crypto arm of investment giant Fidelity, published a report on Wednesday backing up this idea. It provided four components of Bitcoin that support the thesis that it can be a store of value from a fixed supply to low inflation rates. When the last stimulus checks were handed out, some of the recipients spent their $1,200 buying Bitcoin, as Decrypt reported at the time. According to the Bitcoin stimulus Twitter bot, Those that did saw their investments increase to $1,950 at current prices. Perhaps Bitcoin kept its value because it couldn't be printed on a whim. That's 100% correct. And that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Today's Daily Trainwreck brought to you by Alex Kruger, or Kruger Macro on, on Twitter, who says, uh, sometime this morning, Contrary to popular belief, fixed supply is of secondary importance. The key lies in the relationship between supply and demand. This is Econ 101, yet somehow often ignored. train because it'll get you every time <sighs> what to say about this this thing it, well what to say about it is that it's part of a larger train wreck that is indeed a four tweet tweet storm from alex krueger who starts saying ethereum is not as scarce as bitcoin its supply does not even have a hard cap yet ETH goes up more than btc that by itself is its own damn train wreck you just heard the second part, but we'll read it again for effect. Contrary to popular belief, fixed supply is of secondary importance. The key lies in the relationships between supply and demand. This is a econ 101, yet somehow often ignored. Limited supply is a quality that can improve the attractiveness of an asset and drive demand, yet demand, not supply, is more likely to disrupt the supply and demand balance and drive prices higher finalizing his train wreck with this analyzing prices only by looking at the supply side represents a fundamental failure in reasoning. And I so want to hit that button again. No, see, no Krugman and this guy Kruger. I don't know how these economists can get shit so wrong. And I think what it is, is that They've been wrong forever, and the people of the world are waking up that we don't have to be led around by the nose by somebody with a Ph.D. in economics because, you know, honestly, all that shit really is is an ad hominem attack. Well, you don't know anything about economics. Where did you get your Ph.D. in economics? I got mine from Harvard. That's a violence. That's an ad hominem. That means that I can't think for myself unless I go do what you did and go put myself in a shit ton of debt to go to freaking Harvard and go get an economics PhD. And honestly, you only get uh, Keynesian economics out of all of these places. I mean, they don't even talk about Austrian economics ever. Not not once. And there's other shit aside from econo- uh, Austrian and Keynesian economics. What what What's going on here is that we've been led around by the nose and told that we are valueless when it comes to things of higher thought. No, because I I am valueless when it comes to aerospace design and and being put on a team tasked with sending seven people uh, into orbit. You don't want me there. You know why? Because I don't know dick all about differential equations. I almost got to them. Uh, Calculus 3 was pretty much the limit that I needed to do and uh, didn't go into Diffy. But in, in either event, I, I'm not a mechanical engineer. I'm not an aerospace engineer. That's when it counts. Brain surgery. Brain surgery counts because real people's lives are at stake. We've seen what the quote-unquote PhD economists have accomplished for us about the square root of F-all, as Jack Spearcoe likes to say. In fact, they've done more damage, killed more people than any pretend surgeon or pretend engineer has ever done and they paid with their time to go figure out a way to tell us that we suck and i think what's happening is that everybody's turning around and saying no what you're saying doesn't make any sense and no just because you have a phd doesn't mean that i'm going to listen to you anymore that's one of the ways, that's one of the weapons that Bitcoin has, one of the sub-weapon uh, systems that Bitcoin has given us. We don't have to listen to these people. We can look at, their, at what they've done to the world over the last, so well, since 1971, but clearly before that. It really accelerated since 1971. But clearly before that, they've just, it's just been utter destruction. It's been imprisonment. It's been taking people's property away. It's been about all things bad. And the weaponry systems that we've been given with Bitcoin allow us to finally pierce the veil, look beyond, and see that the shadows that have been telling us that we're stupid are, in fact, either dumber than we are, or just as dumb as we are, or we're all brilliant and most of us have been told that we can't be brilliant because we don't have an economics degree from Harvard, I call bullshit, there's your smoldering pile. Well, after that rant, we kind of could use a good, bad joke, and I got one from Dad Says Jokes. I bought my friend an elephant for his room. He said, thanks. I said, don't mention it. Yes, sir. Clearly a terrible joke. Okay. Before we, uh, before I cut out a uh, little bit, a little bit of story time, let me see if I can, let me see if I can do this in a fairly concise manner. And it has everything to do with, <laughs> with my vacation. So, uh, June the twenty fifth was the last time that I had cut a show before I came back. I was supposed to be back on oh, let's see, uh, July. What did we say? We were going to come back July the twenty seventh, and we extended that by two days. So, what was what was that? We let's see, I mean. Yeah, we extended. Well, we extended that by a day and came back on Tuesday. However, me and my wife, um, we were joined by my sister up at uh, the house in Colorado, and uh, my, for a couple of days before we left. And my sister suggested that if we wanted to, that she would take care of the kids, and um, would uh, bring them back to us on on the following Friday, so that we could have like some alone time. And I mean, you know, me and my wife were like, sure. Okay, you know, the kids are 10 and seven. I mean, it's not like they're they're infants or anything like that. So we did so. So my wife and I, by ourselves, uh, left and drove the 10 hours, or I can't remember what it was when we drove down. It was like 10. It's, normally speaking, if you're not rushing or doing weird shit, that trip takes anywhere between 10 and 12 hours to execute from Amarillo or the Amarillo area to uh, Durango, Colorado and the, the little town that's, that's kind of above there. So 10 and a half, you know, li- we'll, I'll peg it at 11 hours. So I drive 11 hours back we're, and we're never happy, ever. We're never happy leaving that, that, that place up there. There's something about the valley that, that that house is in. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's magnetic structure or something, but it's just a, a, a place that recharges. And then when I have to detach from it, it's very difficult. It's also very difficult for my kids. It's also very difficult for my wife. And every single time we have to leave, it's a bad, it's a bad day, man. It's just a bad day. Okay, so that said, we do the drive. We, you know, we do the deed and then do the drive, and you know, we kind of shake it off and and get you know back to our home in the uh, Panhandle to Texas and uh, go to bed, and then wake up and we're you know chilling out doing our stuff. And about four o'clock in the afternoon, my sister calls me. She's broken her foot. They're on a hiking trail close to the house. As you can imagine, she's upset. And I'm like kind of freaking out because I'm like, holy shit, of all the things that could have happened. And, you know, and she's an experienced hiker. It's not like she doesn't know what she's doing. And it's also like she's she's not on a on, you know, She's on a part of this first part of this one trail is pretty easy. It's good for kids. As long as you don't take them all the way to the damn top, it's fine. You know, it's seven year. I've seen three, you know, five-year-olds walking up, you know, walking up there. You don't go all the way to the top with them. I'm just, just saying that. But she, they were about like a quarter of a mile and she rolled her ankle. And I mean, what is, we, we didn't, we didn't think it was broken then, but it is broken and it's a bad break. Um, so she's freaking out and I'm like, I look at my wife and I'm like, I have to get in the car and she goes, go get our kids <laughs> at four 30 in the afternoon, central daylight time. I start back to Colorado after I'd already done a 10, that 10 hour trip. Oh, oh, it was painful, man. Because, and, and this is for all you guys that have never driven in, in forest or mountains or stuff like that. It's not what you want to do at night. You only do it if you have to. And that's in winter, spring, summer, fall. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's worse in the winter when there's ice and shit, clearly, but it does not matter. It can be dry as a bone and baked to death, and there's no weather whatsoever. And if you're driving in the mountains at night, it's fucking dangerous, and here's why. By the time I hit Santa Fe, New Mexico, it's pitch black. There's no moon, and I've just entered what can only be described as God's country. It's just absolutely beautiful. So by the time I roll, and I don't have to worry about stuff until I roll, I'm going to say to what's called the Chama Valley in northern New Mexico. That's where all the big trophy elk hunters like to go hunt great big elk. And there's some apparently moose there now. And Big, giant deer. Now, I don't know if you've ever met a deer. They are tasty, but stupid as a pail of rocks. And for some reason, the tastiest grass is by the edge of a road. And somehow or another, given distance, your headlights at night stun the deer at said side of the road. Until you get just close enough for them to figure out that you're a freaking car... But instead of bolting away from the road, they always bolt across the road. I don't know why. So somehow, doing nothing but the speed limit and taking a one stop for gas and a pee and stopping at a Sonic for a hamburger, which I actually ate on the road, um, I was able to do that drive in nine and a half hours. I don't know how it happened because I had to go be very cautious with my speed and very, you know, like had to do a lot of slowing down because apparently the amount of deer or the deer population is going to be a stunner, a stunner. When hunting season opens, these guys are going to fill their deer tags within the first day. I've never seen that many deer. And it was almost like the universe was like going, hey, 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 hey yeah, buddy. Yeah, you thought this was going to be, yeah. Uh, honestly, it's like, dude, why me? <laughs> why me? So I make it safe and sound, did not strike a deer, did not wreck my car. Every, like everything's alive. Although, if you are a hunter, please go to Southern, Colorado, Southwestern Colorado and fill your deer tags as quickly as possible, kill those sons of bitches and eat their ass because I'm not a big fan of deer right now. So I get there. Turns out, yes, my sister clean broke her ankle, not her foot her ankle. That's a bad break. Okay. So please, if you would do so pray for my sister to heal up and get through the next few months of rehab because she's in for a couple of months of rehab at minimum. Also, My children did great for a 10-year-old and a seven-year-old trying to help my full-grown sister one quarter of a mile down a hiking trail. Dude, applause. Congratulations. You just grew up. That's what it takes to grow up. Okay. See if there's anything else to say about that one. Yeah. Yeah that's all I wanted to say. So that that's kind of what happened. If you saw like a a couple of tweets from me that were kind of confusing, that's the story and I'm sticking to it. Okay. I guess that's all I got for you today. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut this short at 59 minutes and 30 seconds. And I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.